0: Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host White Heck and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give Ahead. On today's show, I welcome Jim Muehlhausen. Sorry, Jim. (laughs) You got it. Like most entrepreneurs, Jim has an eclectic background ranging from CPA, franchisee, attorney, business owner, consultant, franchisor, public speaker, university professor, and book author. While still attending the Indiana University School of Law, He became the youngest franchisee in Meineke discount muffler history. After successfully selling that business, Jim founded an automotive aftermarket manufacturing concern. During his nine-year tenure with that business, the company achieved recognition from the Michael Porter of the Harvard Business School and Inc. Magazine in the IC100 fastest growing businesses. About 20 years ago, he found his true passion serving as a consultant, business coach, and advisor to hundreds of businesses. He has conducted 10,000 plus one-on-one consulting sessions with business owners around the globe. He has previously written two well-regarded books, The 51 Fatal Business Errors and How to Avoid Them and Business Models for dummies and has contributed to publications such as Inc., the small business report entrepreneur business week and various business journals jim has now turned his attention to problem facing aging business owners by studying thousands of business owners collecting their best practices and augmenting them jim created the half retire blueprint this step-by-step process helps business owners create a profitable alternative to selling their businesses via half retirement. This trademarked system is outlined in Jim's book, Half Retire, Keep Your Business, Ditch the Stress. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Jim. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey.
1: Oh, great to be here
0: fantastic. I'm excited about this interview, especially after I was doing the research on you. Um, I, as we were talking about prior to starting the recording, I believe this is going to be a great conversation and uh, no shortage of nuggets of information for the listeners. So Jim, one of the things I like focusing on, as I mentioned to you prior is the origin story of people, because I find that we discount the fact of our origin of where we started it, even as far back as where you can first recollect something along that process triggered a path that you don't even realize until you think back on it. And some people do, but many don't. So, you know, one of the reasons I focus on the origin story is because of Marvel and star Wars. It drove me crazy. The fact that they start in the middle and then they go back after the fact after they know that people are hooked. Well, I'd rather be hooked from the beginning and enjoy the journey along to where you are today. So can you tell me your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you are at currently?
1: Oh gosh, so it's interesting to where where to start. So I think I knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur very young. So I was fortunate enough to grow up in a very successful uh, family business. My grandfather Found that a spring manufacturing company that was you know very large very profitable and uh, you know being the the son of the president I got lots of advantages thrown at me like being able to work in the factory when I was 13 and wasn't even legal to work and you know learn you know I was doing uh, plating quotes when I was 14 years old talking to grown-ups and negotiating pricing and, wow. and creating Uh, You know, programming a $20,000 Wang computer uh, because I didn't like the way that they quoted. And I was, you know, young enough and sassy enough to say, well, I'm not going to do this by hand. You got that computer right there and I know how to program it and you guys don't. So I just, no one told me I couldn't because they were probably afraid to because I was the boss's kid. Uh, So, you know, I I wrote a program that they still used when I was 15 years old. But I, I think where it all started was in fourth grade. And in fourth grade, they, the company was called Midwest spring and they made springs and they had the coolest ad specialty. They had these pens that had a little bulb of little springs in them. And I took them to school and all my classmates were bugging the daylights out of me to get them a pen. OK. And, and, and these pens were so popular that they had to keep them under lock and key because the salespeople would just keep taking them. And they were expensive. In, in 1975, these were a dollar ten. Think about how much that was. Yeah. A uh, buck ten in, in 1975. And so they kept them under lock and key and would dole them out to salespeople as needed. Uh, and so but of course, we had a big box in our garage and they were no problem for me. Uh, I probably had hundreds of them in the garage. And so eventually I decided, you know, why am I giving these to my buddies? I'll bet they'd pay for them. And so I started slopping them for a buck to all my friends. And I think I made $23 selling these. That was a lot of money back then for a fourth grader, uh, I started selling them. And, uh, I got sent to the principal's office. I got in trouble for being an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm still not happy with my parents, the way they handled it, because if my kids did that, I would pat them on the back and say, way to go, kiddo. Uh, Good thinking, you know, way way to hustle. Right. I I got in trouble, got in trouble. But I remember my dad said something to me and he said, what the heck, dude, you're selling these things for a dollar and they cost a dollar ten. And my response to him proved to me that I understood cost accounting at 10 years old because I said to him. They don't cost me anything. <laughs> They're free. They're in the garage. They don't cost me anything. It's 100% profit for me. So uh, I evidently understood cost accounting, and I did become an accounting major. At one point, I was a CPA. I haven't taken continuing education for a long time, so I'm sure I'm not a CPA anymore, uh, at least technically. And then the next part of it, so I, uh, w- we had a lot of uh, grandkids. That all, you know, this was a very successful business. So believe me, that second generation had a good life. Okay, very successful. But as they say, you know, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve in three generations. Well, you're looking at the the third generation. Uh, I was the only grandchild out of 17 that was a had the qualifications to do anything resembling run that business. And I was the only one that was interested. You know, they were kind of the typical uh, I'm, you know, they just weren't interested uh, in doing it. And they really just weren't business type people. It didn't, you know, it wasn't their thing. Business wasn't their thing. So I'm like, well, this is awesome. This is a $20 million company. I'm in line to run this thing. I saw what a good life everybody had. This is going to be great. And they went and sold it while I was in college. In fact, three months before I graduated, uh, they sold it. So, so much for going into the family business. So what do you do when you're good at school And you don't want to be an accountant because I had done some auditing work over the summers. I got my I I hustled up an internship for myself and realized, oh, my gosh, auditing sucks. I don't want to do that. Uh, That's what I have a degree in. I can't go to work for the family business. What do you do? Well, you go to law school, you buy yourself three years and you go to law school. But then after a semester of law school, you realize, holy crap. I thought accounting was bad. This is way worse. I don't want to do this, and and I'll admit to chickening out. Okay, I'm like crap. What do I do? Right? I had an I had an offer from a big five accounting firm to go to work in Chicago. Uh, turned it down. Went to law school, uh, and now a semester in, I pretty much knew that this wasn't something that I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I I had a good aptitude for business. I had a good aptitude for accounting. I was a numbers guy. I was a math guy. And I I, I did fine in law school, but I knew it wasn't my lane, you know, and and you realize it. And then you're like, boy, I don't even like it that much. But I didn't have the guts to quit is the short version. I I did not have the guts to say, oops, uh, I quit because you're like, now what? Right. So I go shopping for franchises. I partnered up with a buddy of uh, a fraternity buddy of mine and we scraped together some money and we're like, well, what can you buy? And I wanted to do a Taco Bell, which might not have been the world's worst idea in 1986, uh, but it was way, way, way more money than I had. And so we ended up buying a Meineke discount muffler franchise because I learned pretty quickly that a good muffler shop makes as much as a McDonald's and you don't need to have anywhere near the money highly leveraged situation. And so we scraped together every last penny and, and, and got this thing opened the day my second year of law school started. We opened up a store in Bloomington, Indiana, where IU is, which is where I went to law school. And then we had an opportunity less than a year later to take over a location in really the best part of Indianapolis and we did that. And then a little bit later, uh, the original Meineke in Indianapolis, the guy had a heart attack. He survived, but he wanted to sell. We were able to do that on you know, some borrowed money. And before I knew it, I had three stores while I was in law school uh, and I was making more money than you could be a lawyer for. And so it made it easy to not take a job. But uh, I would like you to guess and you can guess correctly the lifetime earnings of my law career. You can get it right. Zero. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. I have never made one dollar as a lawyer because uh, I never needed to practice. I, I've just always. I ended up being a business person, which is what I should be, uh, and you know, just went into business. So I never practiced law. Uh, ran the Meinikys, and then you know, you do that, and you go, boy, you know, this was kind of fun as a hobby in law school. I mean, believe me, I can't believe how crazed my life was law school is not easy you know and if, if you like pressure and you're uh, um, a pressure player which i think I am it's a great way to to get a degree because you don't need to go to class there is no homework uh, you are and you are graded entirely on the final and they don't even know your name you put a number on it So, Hey, that Buhlhausen knucklehead never came to class. I had a book. I didn't even open one semester. I didn't even crack the book, but I would spend the last six weeks of each semester locked in a room for 16 hours a day with my buddy, Larry. And we would just cram our butts off and I would just get through those exams and I would just shut my business off. I mean, I'd go sign the paychecks and I'm like, I'm out of here. Please don't burn the building down. Catch you later. Uh, But then once I graduated, I was kind of like, well, you know, that was kind of fun for a part-time thing in law school. I don't know that I want to be wearing my polyester gym uniform, you know, for for the rest of my life. And uh, in retrospect, it didn't seem like it at the time. You know, keep in mind, I was 22 when I bought that franchise. I mean, I found myself having to talk them into giving me the franchise. I mean, like, hey, here's my money. I want to buy this. And Ron Smythe, the president of Meineke, is like, hey, whoa, 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 hang on there. We're not quite so sure we want your money, (laughs) you know, you little whippersnapper. You know, just are you going to be able to do this? You know, this is for grownups. Are you going to be able to do this? And so uh, I managed to talk them into it. They kind of sent me a babysitter to find a site. It was a good thing because the guy did a great job. Uh, He had been a mall. He had purchased land for malls before. He was a smart guy. So he was very helpful at picking kind of a counterintuitive location. It worked out great. Uh, We got open. Store was successful, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but eventually sold that business, uh, started a manufacturing company, making brake calipers and uh, front wheel drive axles. I did that for a uh, shade under 10 years. And then I got into the CEO mastermind business. I had joined the CEO roundtable while I was in that business. Uh, I started a, a business called CEO Focus that does that. Uh, I've been doing that since 2001. Uh we ended up franchising that business. I've got about 30 franchises around uh, North America that, that do that. And, uh, you know, just continue to kind of expand, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, now I'm more of what you would call an intellectual property license or I create programs that help people either create or grow a consulting or coaching practice. That's really what we do. Uh, I have a business called sales QB that is for fractional sales managers Uh, you get these, so here, and it was what I saw my CEO focus clients need, right? They've got five salespeople and and you go, well, who's your sales manager? Well, you know, it doesn't really make sense at five people. Do I go pay somebody 200 grand to manage five people? You know, if I hire somebody, you know, I hired, tried hiring somebody cheap, but they were stupid and made a mess. So we just like, don't have anybody, right? You know, I call it the inmates running the asylum and that's a, that's a bad way to make money. And so much like the part-time CFOs or the, you know, the part-time uh, CFOs out there, we have a business that, that's fractional sales management. We go in half a day a week, typically, uh, to each business. Uh, that's, that's one of our licenses. And so we have a program and, uh, you know, a process and software that we share. With We have about 80 licensees for that. And then we have people that are half retire coaches as well. So based upon the whole half retire system, which I will call a additional door to exit planning, right? So um, I don't know how much you play in the exit world, but starting in about 2010 and 11, the baby boomers started turning 65. And there was this thesis in the, uh, in the business broker and the VC world that there was going to be this tidal wave, this, this $50 trillion tidal wave of the value of businesses that baby boomers owned that were now going to need to be sold and all the money and the fees that go along with that and who's gonna buy them because the next generation's only half the size and this big problem of what are we gonna do with all these boomer businesses? And here's what's happened. It's now been 10 years and here's what happened. A lot of them didn't sell. There was no tidal wave. Tidal wave never came. That they delayed retirement, they did something else. And you go, why is that? And I deal with SMBs, 500 people and less, almost exclusively. And I saw three problems that were preventing people from selling their business. Problem number one: uh, Let's say I make $300,000 a year. I own a plumbing company. I make $300,000 a year, but I'm, you know, I'm tired of getting on my hands and knees. I'm tired of the stress. You know, I'm tired of guys not showing up. But and so I went to the broker. And the broker said, Hey, no problem, Jim. We'll get this business sold for you. There's lots of people who want to buy a plumbing company. Uh, let's do a valuation. And the valuation comes back 900 grand, three times earnings, pretty typical, three times earnings. And so I start running the math and I go, Okay, 900 grand, then I got to pay the broker 10%, and I got to pay taxes, and I got to pay, you know, advisor fees and lawyers and all that. And I'm going to net six or $700,000. And then I'm going to go invest that in what? What? You know, the something that makes 3% interest, 5% interest. So if, let's even go five. You might not be able to get five if you play it safe. Let's go five. 5% of 600 grand is 30 grand, not 300 grand. So now my income goes from 30 grand to 300 grand. And I'm going to whittle away that, that money pretty quickly. And they figure out real fast, I'm either going to have to radically cut my lifestyle you know, if I retire or just not do it. So that's problem number one. I literally cannot afford to retire. I don't want to cut my lifestyle that much. The numbers don't work. Number two, I don't want to fully retire. I like to play golf, but not that much. You know, I don't want to end up playing shuffleboard. I'll be bored in retirement. We're not, you know, we're not our parents. We don't want a gold watch. We want to stay active. And so you go, well, I'd love to work less, I'd love to cut the stress. I'd love, you know, I'd, I'd love to not have this be so hard. But I also don't want to fully retire. And there's a lot of data that men, in particular, if they fully retire and don't stay active, die very quickly. Nine months, <laughs> nine months is how long you're going to live if you fully retire and just, you know, sit in a rocking chair on the front porch. You're going to die pretty quick, which is which is crazy. And there's not a desire within our generation anyway. Then the third group, I'll call it, they wanna pass the business. They have kids that they want to take over. They want their employees to take over. We do a lot of ESOPs, uh, where you know, they're, they're passing the business on to the people because you know, I had somebody say something very eloquent. And he said, you know, these people have donated their lives to helping me grow this business. I don't wanna sell it out from under them. You go, okay, that's a, that's a good reason to not sell the business. And so that's, that's what we do at Half Retire we help people figure out how to take that business asset, which really the big asset is the income stream. And let let me run the math. If if you get a safe return and remind me to tell you the backstory, because I got a good one on this uh, about my parents. Uh, If you go invest that money safely in a, say a 3% treasury, you will need to sell your business for $4.4 4.4 million dollars per 100,000 you make. Run the math, it'll come out it'll come out fine. So you make 300 grand, you need to sell your business for 14 plus million dollars just to equal the money that you just gave up. It's like selling the golden goose for way less than you should when you should just be taking the eggs. And so that's what we help people do and there's a six-step process that we use to do that. Uh, everything from uh, doing what we call setting the magnet in the first step. You know, why do you want to half retire?
0: Just yeah, we'll go. Off. We'll go through some of that stuff because you're. We're. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna um, digest what you've told us so far, and then we'll move on from there. Because otherwise, uh, we're gonna miss a lot of good things in a flow. Um, in regards, to, it's just too much information. We want to make sure the listeners aren't overwhelmed. Great. Origin story, though, you're very good at storytelling and being very specific about details and information. Um, So let's just review a little bit of this. Like, it's unbelievable that you started at such a young age, working, learning how to program, Um, you know, the listeners, my listeners range from as young as 20 to as high as 70. So some people don't know what a Wang computer is. I do. I came from the (laughs) IT consulting world. Most people don't know what a Sperry computer is either, right? Sperry ran one of the first that was out. Um, But it's amazing that you were able to do that. So as a a young man, you were driven. um, You weren't afraid of working. You weren't afraid of taking on, you know, tasks. And it was part of the reason, you know, I think that many people that are young, they're willing to be entrepreneurs, uh, you know, even from you selling the pens and stuff is because you didn't have people telling you you couldn't. They may have told you that after you did it, but they didn't tell you ahead of time. You understand? I'm
1: not, to get a, not to ask.
0: Yeah, so exactly. Sometimes it's easier to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission, right? People laugh at me, but it's true. And it doesn't mean you should go do things that are morally or, you know, not with integrity. It means that sometimes you just have to do and then pick up the pieces and polish everything after the fact you don't have to have everything. People get stuck in that, you know, they get frozen, um, you know, and they don't move forward in life and you already at a young age were, you know, kicking ass and taking names, which is amazing. You know, 17 grandchildren, one, you know, you want to take over the business gets pulled out from underneath you. That was, I'd be just like heartbroken, <laughs> but you know what? Things happen for us, not to us. So there had to have been a reason why, um, and your whole theme of your origin it was about the fact that you're willing to take on risk and and you're fearless in a lot of things that you do, from taking over that franchise, um, part of me starting a franchise, and eventually having three. And your statement about it making more than McDonald's—most people don't realize that an average McDonald's owner makes 150 grand a year. They don't make that much money. Their investment of their capital. Their time is huge. Donut shop, same thing. So that's an amazing franchise story. Um, did not think that a muffler shop would make more than than uh, somebody owning a McDonald's, but th- that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know about it
1: anymore, but back back then it was a it was a really good business. I you know I, I've had Sometimes I feel like I've started businesses ten years too late. Like I mean, the caliper business was just nutty profitable on the core deposit side i mean i'm talking millions of dollars i'd have millions of dollars more in my pocket if i would have started it 10 years earlier i I mean i got in some good years but it got very competitive it's why i got out
0: well
1: it should have could have
0: would have though right we look at stuff and 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 i appreciate what you're saying because i feel the same way about many things as well i look at my industry of being a financial you know financial I have a financial agency brokerage and been doing it this is my 19th year and I look at the fact if I had done it back in you know in the 90s as opposed to starting in um, 2002 I basically would have made quadruple right literally than what I made but at the end of the day I just did the best and continue to do the best I can and and have other streams of income and focus on that. And it sounds like you were in a similar mindset. You went from selling your muffler shop, went into your manufacturing and you've now done, you've gone out of that and moved on. and, And that's what life is. Life is about us moving forward. You mentioned the fact that a stat about men, you know, literally North American stat is about 24 months. For the guy sitting on a rock in his rocking chair on the porch, right? So nine months, you know, twenty-four months, and part of that, the listeners that listen to me quite frequently, I've interviewed people and I've studied the science. Is our brain requires is a giant computer requires input, input, input. So those, there's people out there that don't even hit retirement that are already dead mentally between their six inches. They get caught on that hamster wheel. And they and they wonder why they're sad all the time and they suffer depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying depression, anxiety isn't real. What it is, though, is that people dwell on it so much because they're not feeding their brain the proper information to keep it excited so that they can understand and block out the things that cause them depression, depression being they're stuck in the past anxiety, they're stuck in the, and worrying about the future, they forget to live for the present. And that all ties to associations. So it sounds like even with your friend, I forget what you said his name was, Larry, I think he said it was. Oh, uh, I lost my
1: lost friend, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know it, it, some of your associations. You could probably tell us stories about some of how if you wouldn't have had these associations, you wouldn't have pushed yourself. And then there's probably associations you had that slowed you down. But what's the key? Having good associations. So what would be some of the Can you tell me about anything that happened? Like, you know, obviously you got into, you got your friend, you guys went and got the the muffler shops. Did you have hills and valleys? Are you still friends? Did you work well together or did you, or did you find that you were better as a warrior on your own without having a partner?
1: You know, it's partnerships are tricky. I mean, and, and, and having grown up in a family business, I mean, believe me, the reason that the business was sold was it was a Hatfield and McCoys type situation. My dad had a heart attack at work when he was younger than me. Wow. Uh, retired by the time he was 50. Uh, believe me, a whole other backstory for, for another time. Uh, and, and by the way, I saw what being retired for 35 years did to him. A lot of it not good. Uh, it's, it's just too long to be not doing enough. To your, to your point of not being stimulated, here's a guy with a genius level like you not using it well enough. And it, you know.
0: We, well, you, you die inside. You basically are going, you, you just, you're waiting for your, you know, what do they call it, your corporeal, your actual physical body to die. Um, that's why I tell people, and I got somebody, you know, I, I get different responses to the fact that I am going to continually want to level up and learn and develop myself personally. Whether or not someday I'm ever working, I'm always gonna continually strive to climb because I wanna do it till the day I take my last breath. I wanna die knowing that I didn't become stagnant, that person that my intellect was dead. And I I talked a little bit about that prior with you, legacy, and you've mentioned it too. For me, it's a legacy. I wanna make sure that my children have those memories. And that's why I personally have gotten into podcasting, wrote a book, even yourself with your books, you have people that are now, you, you're, you could die, but you're not going to die. You, your legacy is real, right? And that's why, you know, for me, it's not wanting the music to die inside of me. I want my kids to understand, you know, oh, what did, you know? Oh, one of my grandkids. Oh, grandpa passed away young and we didn't really know him. Well, here you go here. He's got 500 and some videos so far on his video log channel on YouTube here, here, go listen to his podcast channel or oh, read his book. You know what I mean? So for me, it's all about the fact of not necessarily, um, being that celebrity that's remembered a hundred years or have a song that people are still playing well after I'm gone. It's, you know sharing those memories having some impact on future generations on my thought process well after I'm gone do you yeah, how do you feel about good. legacy
1: you know it's funny because sometimes you see, there's some hilarious videos of Hollywood stars talking about how their kids feel about their work it won't make you feel good don't watch it because it's kind of like you know uh, I think it was Paul Rudd's kid he's just like oh, dad's an idiot or, you know, or whatever it's like oh no, I, I
0: watched I don't that don't dad that. video
1: that yeah, video is hilarious. Like, that looks stupid. You know? <laughs> you know, you're like, well, that's, got to, that's a kick in the knee. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I believe me, my wife hasn't read any of my books. I don't know my, my kids were young enough that, uh, you know, now they're in their 20s, but uh, I don't know that. I, I think my brother has read my books, but he also One of my
0: kids school. has. <laughs> one of my kids. So I got one of five, 20%, 20% hit ratio.
1: You're doing better than me. You're doing better than me. I'm batting zero. But, but by the same token, you know, you think back on your life, you know, we were talking about those peaks and valleys being the only stuff that you remember. Right. And, and yeah, you know, uh, believe me, uh, you know, the, hit, hitting that, you know, that bottom stinks, uh, but it does put in perspective and you, yeah, you were asking me about peaks and valleys, you know, the answer of, of course, right. I mean, everything from the rug getting yanked out under me, my dad had had a heart attack before that had happened. Uh, and so they were glad to take the money. Right. And so you're like, Oh God, don't sell it. You know, you're not selling it for enough money. It was a lot of money, but it wasn't enough for what the business did. And you're like, ah, oh, don't do this. But then by the same token, he can't go back to work. He's he's never going to be able to work again because it'll probably kill him. So you go, okay, well, I'd like to let not lose my dad.
0: And he so, wouldn't have stayed away either. He wouldn't have stayed away, even if you had hung on listeners and I'm talking from experience my dad very very wealthy business owner and he wanted me to take his business over and I walked away because he would never ever stay out of the business and we I love my father I learned a ton growing up I started working from at a very young age similar to you I've we have so much commonalities I can't wait to get to know you better and have more conversations but he wouldn't have stayed away. My dad wouldn't have stayed away. We would have been butting heads, and you know what I mean. And you probably would have had the same similar circumstances. Your dad being a very high intellect, as you mentioned, a genius, he would have not been able to stay away, and it would have affected his health more. So it things happen for a reason, right? Oh that yeah, like
1: sense. you said, blessing in disguise. At the time, it did not feel like a blessing. But what it did was it forced me to do it on my own, right? Instead of now inheriting a $20 million company to run, I inherited a $0 company to run and got to build it, you know, up to something, you know, that you can be proud of. And, you know, you sell one and you do another. And, and yes, I've been through partners. That was where this started, right? We talked about partners. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I did bring my law school buddy, Larry, into a business and had the, the lovely situation. So I, uh, I made a mistake, this one's in my 51 errors book, right? I always joke, uh, I wonder how many of those 51 errors I have made, and the answer is probably 53 of the 50 I have, I have made, but this one, I, I put a little vignette on each story because I'm sure you've found as I have, business owners learn best by scenarios, stories, examples. You can tell them the answer all you want, but let them pick it from a story, it's gonna be much stickier. Uh, So I added the stories and and not many of them are about me, but this one is about me and it's about underpaying yourself. And I had, uh, you know, my wife and I didn't have kids because I started so young and I had brought Larry into the Caliper business uh, to help me basically. And we were effectively partners. I had all the equity, but I treated him like a partner. And then all of a sudden my wife gets pregnant. And I'm paying him, but I am not paying myself because I have this income stream from selling the keys. But it was enough to pay for our lives. My wife didn't even work. She was going to school. So I had this nice stream of income and I basically used up that stream of income for two and a half years, not paying myself from the business and paying him. And the reason why it's in the Fatal Heirs book is it just makes you lazy. When you underpay yourself, what happens is it's okay for a while and everybody writes it off as sweat equity, just like I did, right? But at some point it becomes an artificial subsidy, which at two and a half years, we were to the point of artificial subsidy. So here's what happens when my wife says, hey, I'm pregnant, you're gonna have to pay yourself, we need more money, right? Uh, And so I have to go to my best friend and say, hey, remember when our buddy uh, from LA called, he's bilingual. And uh, we, have a, we had a buddy who uh, was Cuban and had an immigration practice in L.A. And he had called up Larry and said, hey, boy, I'd sure love it if you came out here and helped me because you're bilingual and I could really use the help. And Larry told him, no, I'm liking it here, work with Jim. You know, he grew up in Indiana, so he loved being back you know, home or whatever. And so I got to tell Larry, hey, by the way, you need to call him your back and tell him that you're going to take that offer, <laughs> which is effectively firing your best friend, which was not very fun. Was oh, not very. Of course. But now I'm forced to do it, right? So now the circumstances forced me to be a better business person, which I should have done a year earlier, right? You know, I shouldn't have artificially subsidized the business, but I did, uh, and do that, and I, you know, had to kind of um, half break up. You know, when the when the keys were sold, my buddy, you know, we, we had to decide what we're going to do, and I had to say to him, "Hey, listen, there's really not two jobs at this caliper business. There's one, okay." And I don't care if you want to take it or I want to take it. Here's the deal I think we should do. Let's just compensate each other for what we've got in it. And one of us needs to do it and one of us needs to go away and you can pick. But I knew what you'd do because I had, I had started it and I knew he wouldn't probably wouldn't want to do it. And I did want to do it. And so he chose the way that I did. It worked out really well for him, by the way. He's extremely wealthy and extremely successful. Sometimes, <laughs> it's like, I, I think I got the wrong end of the deal by my own making on that. He ended up going to work for a company that turned into a billion-dollar environmental cleanup company. He was their their CFO and and vice president of finance and started a finance company himself. And he he is definitely half-retired, has an enviable net worth and income, and he's done great because he's a really smart business guy.
0: Well, that's good. You're surrounded yourself with very, very good people. So, Jim, your latest book, Half-Retire, Keep Your Business, Ditch the Stress, we're going to get into what you talked a little bit about it, but it has the six steps of the half-retire blueprint that you utilize to help business owners. Can you please tell us more about the book and share with the listeners something about those six steps?
1: Yeah. So what the book really is about is those three points that we talked about before, right? Do you fall into one of those buckets, and then you look at the traditional exit options, right? You know, what are they? You can sell, and that's what most businesses do, a surprising number, just go away. They wind it down. They just don't ever show up for work again. And those always, I, I remember kind of scolding a client. And he said, well, I just can't take it anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And I'm like, I will stroke you a $100,000 check right now for what you have in that business because I can flip it for 200000 next week. Please don't just walk away. And he did it anyway. You know, there's an old saying, business owners don't sell out, they bail out. There's an example, you know, yeah. he's bailing out, can't take it anymore. He's headed up to here. He's done. And he walked away from several hundred thousand dollars. It's not a ton of money, but I don't know about you, but I don't like throwing away a couple hundred grand
0: for no, no. reason.
1: No, for not spending a couple of weeks, you know, trying to monetize it. Um, so so we use this six step process to help people hang on to that very valuable asset called their income stream but ditch all the reasons that they want to get rid of the business, right? I I don't want the stress anymore. I'm tired of employees. Uh, I'm working too many hours. I mean, you've heard it all. I've heard it all and I'm sure you've lived it too. And so what we want to do is get them working uh, not only the hours that they want, the ultimate goal being two half days a week, but you get to define that i've got people say hey i just like to take off friday i've had a client takes off friday afternoon goes to the movies with his son and then that's he wants to work the rest but he wants to know that he can go to lunch with his son go to the movies afterwards and he's done for the week and without stress without any bs <clears throat> of doing that so you get to define what that means but i think there's a more important piece than just cutting the hours I believe that over time, you know, when you've been in business for 10, 20, 30 years, you end up taking on, you're the catch-all when you're the business owner, right? Oh, well, this task, there's really no one to do it. And it's only five minutes a month that it takes. And you do it, right? And you just take it on and you take it on. And before you know it, you're doing all this crap that you don't like, that you don't like. And it's part of why you get fed up because you're the catch-all that catches all the crap that can't be done another way. And that is a big part of half retire. It is not just about cutting the hours. It is about getting rid of the work you don't like.
0: That's awesome. I love that how you put, you know, uh, you you, you work with them so that they understand, you know, get rid of this stuff you know, ditch wanting to sell, keep your income and to find your hours. I, I'm the same way. Now my one daughter that I used to do quite often with has moved away every Friday. I had in my 168 hour calendar every Friday afternoon. So from, I book off from about 12 till the, you know, till the evening was over and she'd take off time. She works at that time. She was working for Apple in Edmonton here. And I pick her up. We go for brunch go to a movie, or we go do whatever, I just spend the afternoon with her. Um, And yeah, you know, why could I do that? Because of choices I made, and prioritizing my work schedule for faith family work, which is my three core values that I focus on. So I love how you, you know, I actually want to read your book, not because I'm looking to retire, I'm going to work till the day I die, honestly. Why? Because I know how I can, I never prioritize work higher than living life. Work is an, uh, something that gives me or my or my business gives me income so I can live life. But so many people work, work, work to make income and they forget to live life. And like you said, they sell off their businesses far too cheap or they just go away. And, and you're right when you said I've probably experienced a lot of this. Absolutely all of a sudden 40, 50 year old brick and mortar business is gone. It's like, what, what, what's going on there? Why didn't you sell it? Right. Oh, I, I just got tired of it. Or I didn't know who to talk to. Or, you know, some of them it would be like, when did you do this? Oh, a couple, three years ago. What are you doing now? Nothing.
1: I know it's a shame, isn't it? It just, it, makes it me breaks sad.
0: my heart. Yeah. It makes it me sad too, because sad. you don't have to walk away. And then, you know, I'm going to have some listeners that I know that are people that help people exit their businesses. They won't like this. You know, they won't necessarily like the fact that you're teaching people to have retire because their whole stick is to help people set up right from the start of getting their businesses running to eventually exit their whole theme is let's get it to a point, you know, how long do you want to do it? Oh, 15, 20, 30 years. okay. This is what you need to do. This is the pattern you need to follow so that you can exit your business. And I'm not saying that's bad, but not everybody believes what you believe, right? And my belief, I have no interest in exiting my business. I have, I, I could sell it, right? There's, I could sell my book of business. I have a large asset under management, um, book of business for clients. And it pays me residual income every single month. I deal with those clients I bring on new ones. I'm a very simple man though. Um, making, you know, some people are excited when they make 5,000. Some people are excited when they make a hundred thousand a month. I just, I, I know what I need. I keep, I'm happy there. I, I have a retirement program in place that I know if I wanted to quit, I could, Right but I enjoy what I do. I like feeding this computer up here. Right. I like continuing to, to climb. I think too many of us camp way too long. And I appreciate what you're doing for people because you're teaching them. They don't need to camp. They don't need to just, you know, pack up shop and go and live in the mountains as a hermit and camp in a tent. They can continue to climb up the mountain on their own terms and live life on their own terms. And I applaud you for that. I think it's fantastic. So listeners get the book. If you're somebody that's a business owner, get the book, read it, reach out to Jim because you owe it to yourselves not to just walk away and give up or sell it and not sell it for enough, right? If you're going to sell it, and you're bound and determined not to sell it, and you don't want to half retire, at least talk to Jim because he's helped people do that too. So, you know, either way, um, you as a guest, this is perfect timing for people that want to hear somebody different than I've interviewed prior that's talked about. We help you plan to scale, pick a timeline, exit, right? You're giving people options. And I think that's phenomenal. Good for you.
1: But I don't even know that it's really, uh, there are plenty of people, a lot of people that have retired sell their business you know, because if you're, I get lots of 50 to 70 year olds, right? You know, people are 50 are getting a little bit ahead of it, but I got people that are 70. I got a 71 year old that's in the program and he's still feeling good and going strong, but is he still going to feel the same way when he's 81, not 71? Is he going to feel the same way when he's 91, not 81? I don't know, but the odds are at some point he will sell it, but you can download a spreadsheet on our on our website. And in fact, just go to Google and type in 44% rule and you'll grab that spreadsheet that I was talking about that shows you how much income. And it'll blow your mind. The, the average half retiree adds $1.3 million to their net worth. And the math is pretty simple. 300 grand in income, five years of half retirement. That's 1.3 million bucks is what that's worth to you in additional net worth. Because you're still going to sell the business Probably for more than what you would sell it for today, but we don't even count that. That's not even in the equation. We assume it's the same. But a business that runs without you is worth a lot more than one that you're in. You know, you're, you're the uh, you know you're the card that if I pull it, the whole house falls. And that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of businesses. And that's why they don't sell for much. You know, businesses that that run well without the owner sell for more than ones that are dependent upon the owner. But we have lots of exit planners that are also half retire licensees. And we have lots of business brokers that support the program. Now you have some that see this competitive, right? Well, you're telling people not to sell a business and I'm selling it to sell. Any business broker will tell you that 90% of the people that walk through their front door don't sell their business. It's well over 90%. And what's the reason? All the stuff I talked about, they go to an appraisal. Here's how it goes. Usually. Uh, I want to sell my business, Mr. or Ms. Business Broker. Well, let's do an appraisal. Let's see what the business is worth. Appraisal comes back. Business owner gets ticked. No way. You're a jerk. I can't believe my business is only worth that much money. Why would they come back with an appraisal that's too low? It's in their interest to push it high, not low. They're going to get 10%, uh, you know, 5 to 10% of what that number is. They want it as high as possible. Your interests are aligned. Why would they come back with a crappy number? Because that's the right number. That's why they came back with a bad number. But then the business owner walks away and just basically puts their head back in the sand and goes back to doing what they've done the last two years. That's the tragedy. So my my point is that business brokers don't convert an awful lot of the people that they talk to. The reason that we have a lot of supporters in that community is that they go, hey, listen, this half retire program is exactly what those 90% of people that walk out of here need. And what happens is now instead of them just going back and putting in five more years with the status quo and having the same value business, the same tough to sell, you know, not very valuable business five years from now. But now I am fed up and I'm five years older and I can't take it anymore and I don't care. Just get me what you can get me. That's what happens. They go on half retire. They've now maybe they can go ten years instead of five. They've got a business that's running much better. They've enjoyed those five years instead of grinding it out. You know, they've gotten off the grind, as we like to say. Well, that's a much different outcome than uh, you know than walking away ticked off at the broker because they told you your business is only worth nine hundred grand.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunately. There's, you know, you talk about the brokers and them not being able to help somebody execute. It's the process of what they're taking them through. So your process gives people more options. It gives them, it takes away levels of frustration if they choose, obviously. Everything you offer is still their choice to have to adhere to some sort of a process and figure it out. Are they going to stay for, oh, you only get, you know, now instead of five, now maybe it's 15 years, maybe they're happier, they're still half retired, they give up the things you you know, they give up the stresses, maybe hire somebody so they can work those two and a half days a week you mentioned or whatever the case may be, they learn to let go and finally start life. I know people worth so many millions of dollars a year that don't enjoy life. They have tons of money. They got all the flash in the pan. They got the facade of life, the big house, the fancy cars, the boats, the cabins, the big trips. But you look at their body language, you have conversations with them behind the facade, they're not happy. Right. So, all the money in the world that, you know, it can assist in making you happy, but you should be happy with, you should be able to be happy without it all relying on money. And I, and I don't see that with a lot of uber rich people that I know, right? And that are clients of mine that are, you know, that literally 10, $15 million in the bank, like in investing and stuff. And they just, you know, they're just, they're, they're not happy. Some of my most happiest wealthy clients and friends, because not all of them are my clients or they live in small little bungalows. They drive an old vehicle, right? They just it wasn't about the money it's about life experience they they go go on some trips they enjoy their kids their grandkids or if they you know some of them are younger they don't even have grandkids yet but people focus too much on you know just you know i i I keyed on the fact that you said people come and go what that appraisal and that's you know they get pissed they're not happy with it and then they put their head in the sand and they're stuck in that rut right so at least you're giving yeah, you're, you're... I think
1: we're all inclined to do what we did yesterday. Yeah, but the problem is at some point our 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 clocks are winding down, right? There's only so many more years you and I are going to have the energy level we have today at our business. It's going to decrease. I mean, I, I I my my editor refused to put it in the book. I had a chart of average one mile running time for it was for men, okay, starting at age you know thirty, okay. And the short version is it goes down about 15 seconds every year. <laughs> if you can run a five minute mile at 30, at 40, you're you're gonna run a six-minute mile or you know, whatever it is. And every year you run that mile slower. It, it doesn't have anything to do with your physical condition. It has to do with this insidious process called getting old <laughs> that stinks. Yeah. But going back and pretending, and this is the part that drives me nuts, if you can't tell, right? pretending that that's not going to happen. Well, I'm just going to go back and just do the same thing. I know how that story ends. That story ends with throwing your keys to the bank or locking the front door or taking a crappy offer from your business. And the brokers don't want that either. The brokers want people to be successful. They're good people, but they're in the business of selling businesses. And all I want... I was was just uh, telling a a half-retired prospect before we were on the call that I told a 15-year client to take an offer for her business last Friday. It's a good offer. It's a very good offer. She's fed up. It's a difficult, negative business by nature. She's on her third one. She's made some money. Some of her real estate has appreciated quite dramatically. So she has a a lot more net worth, whereas the business made very good money in in the past. And it's just, it's time to sell this thing, both emotionally and financially. And here's the half retire guy not saying, don't sell your business. I told her, you should take this offer. It's a good
0: offer. But, but she had options, though, because of you and her yeah. thought process. It's not always just options of buying, selling, keeping, half-time work, full-time work. You give her mental options, right? It's a just piece, it's a It's a peace of mind, though knowing when you have a system in place and people that are great coaches and mentors like yourself. So um, we're getting close to finishing off here. One of the things I wanted to ask, so when we, you have touched on it, you know, I believe I know why, however, I would like to find out exactly your thought process more on why you feel being half retired is better success metric than profits Because you talked about, you know, people making money and the profits and they sell and then it's not enough to keep up to what they actually need, they should have sold it for way more. So in in essence, why is half retirement looking at it better than always focusing on money? Well,
1: I think you said it very well, right? You said it very well why money doesn't matter. But so one of the things that I've debated throwing out there is one of our little hook phrases is, is that half retire is the ultimate success metric, not money. And, and I'll tell you why. I like that. You've seen plenty of people that make a million dollars a year that if they offered to give up 900000 of it, their business wouldn't work, right? That, that, that there's no amount of money that could buy them out of their problem. You see what I'm saying? I make a half a million dollars a year, but my life is chaotic and it's stressful. And as soon as you, you know, we use a Jenga now and see it's our third step, right? Set the magnet. You have to have a reason to half retire, get your mindsets right, because the mindsets that grew your business aren't the same as what you need in half retire. They need to be remapped, uh, we call that. And then the third step is what we call removing the business owner from the process, right? You know, there's these gears that run, and sometimes the business owner is a very vital gear or gears. And if you remove them, the machine stops working, right? The the machine stops working. And and as part of that, you could make a million dollars, but be a vital gear in that business. And you can't buy your way out of it. But a half-retired business owner could make less money and plenty make millions of dollars. But you might make less money, but they're not chained. You know, they're not a gear in that business anymore. And that's more valuable than cash, especially if you have enough and we can, we can have it both ways, right? We can make enough to enjoy our lives and have the time and flexibility to do so.
0: It's all about planning and having, again, it's always about mentorship and coaching and even the most successful coaches I know have a coach. I have a coach, right? Because we can't see the forest for the trees, right? So when we think we've arrived and know it all, We actually, you know, to me, you are fooling yourself, right? I think we can always continue to build our lives to, you know, get to that point. Like you talked about, you can half retire or you recommend to a client, turn around, sell their business because it made sense, but at least People have options and choices. They don't have to have like the person you talked about getting a terrible appraisal, sticking their head in the sand and staying in that hamster wheel and five years later cracking and tossing the keys away, right? So listeners, I highly suggest you get the book. Um, We're we're getting close to the end of our, our conversation here. But Jim, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up?
1: It's wow. a great point, right? Uh, I, I think you have to balance that, right? I, I think business owners are the hardest working people I've ever run into, okay? And and they, but but they're willing to grind it out. And I've struggled with this. How do you know when you're grinding and when you're doing great work that really adds value, right? If you're not going to work hard, you know, and you're not going to give a heck, then you're never going to get ahead. Right? You know, we, we can't put in five hours a week when we're trying to grow a business. Uh, if we built it, we can, we can milk that goose a little bit. But if we're growing a business, we need to give a heck. We need to put in the, you know, the time and the energy. But what we need to give a heck about is the quality. Right? You know, I don't know if you've read the four disciplines of execution, but you know, they talk about lead and lag measures. And I think that the, my, my lead measures, Jim's lead measures, are how many hours of quality work I do per week. So I'm doing one now, right? This is you know, getting out to viewers. This is a quality hour. But if I'm dealing with an accounting issue, or you know, sometimes we've got a, a website down, it always seems to happen on a weekend, and I have staff and I have contractors, uh, some, but some of them are in India, so then you have a time problem. But it always seems to be something where you just, it needs to be done in an hour. And even though I have an ad agency and even though I have all these people, sometimes I'm the fourth backup and here I'm up. Right. That is not a quality hour. Right. I've got a system problem that I need to fix. But we always say problems are like fix me signs. When you have a problem, it's saying, please fix me. You know, you can get frustrated about it, but don't just fix it and move on. Say, why did this happen? Give a heck, you know, but quality hours. Is what really drives our business. What's your special genius? We call it your Picasso work, and that's part of finding how to get rid of your work is we all have this work that's our special genius that's incredibly valuable and adds lots of equity to the business, but it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of time, but we we bundle all this other work in with our Picasso work, and before you know it, we're working 60 hours. This is part of the magic of Half Retire. If we can unbundle that hairball, Get down to your Picasso work. That's how we can keep you taking your three hundred thousand dollars salary, but only working half the time that you're working now. Is because you're doing less of the garbage, and and you're still doing all of your Picasso work. That's special genius work that you should give a heck about. Yeah,
0: well, that's that's a great response. I appreciate that quality of your work. Remember that, listeners. Right, you have to have a quality within your work life. You have to don't forget money isn't everything. It's great, but you have to have a quality of life where you're enjoying life because even like, you know, you and I spoke about the, you know, five years, 10 years, all of a sudden they tossed their keys or whatever along the way they forgot to enjoy life. They forgot to give up some of the stresses and, and uh, you know, tribulations trials that they go through. And, you know, there's, Life is worth living. You don't know if you're going to have five years more in your business. You and I both don't know because you could be even like your father, and not that you want it to happen, but you could have a heart attack and die. So could Just I. Knock on wood, right? Yeah, knock <laughs> knock on wood. I could have a. I could have a. You know, I've had my dad's one of uh, 18 kids, and quite a few of them have passed away, and from cancer and different things. And you don't know. We don't have. I I lost one of my closest friends a few years ago to cancer, and he was 62, right? He never even, and one of my best clients, right? We had all his retirement planned out. We goal set, everything was set up. What kind of income stream he wanted? Very simple guy, just wanted to camp and fish. Everything was set up. He never even made retirement, Jim, right? And it, it breaks my heart. And But there was a story after story of that. So listeners, live present today. And in that present day, make sure you're planning for a future that you don't know you're going to have, but you still need to plan for it because you could have it. Don't have regrets, but live for today. Be happy. Meet great people like Jim. Have those quality hours that he talked about. Connect with people that are going to help uplift you, that you know you can have that circle right of people that you can trust in. They trust in you, and you will always, always have the ability to climb. It's your choice if you stay camped but it's a choice. We all make decisions. So while our time is almost up, I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what is the best way to reach you?
1: I would just go to halfretire.com. There's lots of goodies that you can get there. And on the homepage, you'll see a download for the blueprint. So you can actually download the six steps uh, to half retirement, that you know we've alluded to, and it will you know, point you in the right direction. Obviously, the book has more. Uh, the book's available anywhere you, you buy a book—Barnes and Noble, Amazon, any of those, uh, any of those places—you can find the book. But uh, it, it's a great place to start. And any business can use the principles in half retirement. I got a thirty-nine-year-old that makes a million dollars a year that wants to surf more. <laughs> you, you know that is using the half retire principles to go well okay, if I want to keep my income, I want to keep my business the way that it is, I don't want things to go wrong, but I want to work half as much as I'm working. How do I do that? Well, it doesn't matter if you're 60 or not. You can do that at 25.
0: Wow. I'll make sure all that's put into the show notes. Um, um, New listeners, you can find it at giveaheck.com. In my podcast portal, you'll find uh, the actual show notes where you'll be able to – find the links and and everything that Jim just talked about so I really appreciate you being on Jim this has been a fantastic conversation so thanks so much for being on give a, give a hack, Jim I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a hack. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website giveaheck.com. And until next time, together, let us all strive to give a heck.